for the first time in my life, I had like anxiety, you know, worry, you know, stress, like, am I going to be good enough? Mm -hmm. You know, did I give up this thing I've been pursuing for 20 years to go mm -hmm. be a failure at this other thing? And, and those weights wear on you mm -hmm. and it's, it's hard, man. It's getting out is the hardest thing I've ever done. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper podcast. And in this episode, we are bringing a special guest to you, Mr. Mike Lilly. And a lot of you guys have probably heard of Mike Lilly in uh, the PRS world and the NRL Hunter world. Um, Mike and his lovely wife, Keely, run a YouTube channel called uh, Long Range with the Lilies. And Mike hasn't been on the podcast in a long time. I believe uh, Mike's uh, came on the podcast probably within the first few episodes that we did. And um, I've known Mike for a really long time, uh, probably pretty close to 13 years now. And Philip and him also have become really good friends. And this episode is a little bit different flair than what you guys have seen from us or heard from us in the past. Um, all three of us are going to talk about some, some kind of heavy stuff that circulates around uh, the things that we experienced, the emotions that we experienced as veterans uh, departing from the military service and transitioning into the civilian world. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a good episode. There's a lot of vulnerability in here, and these are subjects that we believe uh, are being talked about more, but we would like to see even more of it. And it's a really, um, it's a big problem in our community because guys just do not have the resources um, and the outreach. And so we hope that this episode uh, gives you guys um, some relief in the event that you're experiencing the same thing, uh, that loss of identity um, as you leave the service. So sit down and enjoy the episode. Thank you guys so much. Um, you guys can find, uh, again, Mike Lilly. Um, over on YouTube at Long Range with the Lilies. So enjoy. I'm almost kind of embarrassed to like show my dry ass feet. <laughs> I, I got mine tucked. <laughs> I did the same thing too. Like we were rehearsing right now. It's like, now we're live. We're like, oh shit. Well, Mike. The last time you were on the Modern Day Sniper podcast was a long time ago. Was it, it was with me? That. It was, was with you. you. Yeah. Like, right really? when we started, it was like, well, it was, we kicked off our podcast. This uh, was, well, it was Shot Show of 2024. We, we released our pot, first episode and podcast um, in January of 2020. Okay. It's funny. I remember I wanted to do like a, because we, we were talking a lot about, I mean, I think you, you're, you're and I's conversations, I was always about, between what's going on in our mental performance yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so i think it was along along those lines and mm -hmm. still yeah. working on it yeah <laughs> right it's a work in progress yeah, still working on it <laughs> yeah. yeah oh man it's really good to have you out here mike i appreciate it it's, it's pretty it's, it's weird to have to like you know you were in washington for how many years were you in washington so i got to washington in 2007 and then left in 2010, I want to say. We went to Korea for three years. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then uh, from the, you know, I got to the unit I was in then and got back in like 2015. And I had just right. left this summer, July of 2023. Right. So, okay. So you went to Korea 
uh, re, re, reacquaint me with your career path. So I uh, was in college, 9-11 happened. Um, felt compelled to answer the call. Came in as a um, helicopter mechanic, Black Hawk crew chief. Ended up at the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, um, where I did a lot of my crew chief time. Was deployed a lot, sat behind a minigun, doing that kind of work. Um, some of the most fun I've, I've had in my life, honestly, looking back, great memories. Uh, ended up leaving the regiment to become a pilot in 2000, late 2007. That's right. Uh, and then uh, became a pilot, came up to Washington. It was my first duty assignment as a young pilot, kind of cut my tool. Uh, left from there, went to Korea for three years, and then ended up assessing back again as a pilot this time in the 160th uh, Special Operations Aviation Regiment. And I'd been there since, um, up until my retirement, you know, as a flight lead in July. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I, was, I, I remember the first time you came out, uh, you, first time you came out to, when I first met you, you came out to a rifle class. What year was that? That would have been 2008, I want to say. It was because uh, I had signed up. You were still running your own company, Central Cascade Precision. Yeah. And then you were transitioning over to Magpul. So it was kind of a long wait to get to the class. Yeah. But then, yeah, it was that year. Yeah. That's just, that was so long ago. Seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, I don't think we had all this great no, stuff. I was completely baby-faced, clean-shaven. Yeah. 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 Wild. Yeah, man. I was still in the Marine Corps. Yeah, you were. Yeah. When did you and you came in when? Oh seven. Oh seven. Okay. Just say it. I'm a boot. I get it. <laughs> All right. Oh man. Well, I mean, everybody's boot to somebody, right? That's right. Everybody's boot to somebody. So, and now you're out here with us in Florida at Altus Shooting Solutions. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. You know, we we've been talking for a while, and um, this season's kicking off for me you know, com competition season for Peter Rice and Earl Hunter. And it just seemed like a really great opportunity to hang out with my friends again and also to get a, a new baseline for performance established, clean up some things, you know, kind of sharpen that blade again prior to the season starting. So it just all came together for us. And I'm grateful it did. Absolutely. You know, what's, uh, what's cool, and this is why I appreciate you, Mike, is I was just reading an Instagram post because that's where I get all my inspiration from lately. But uh, it was um, it said, real friends pay full price for your product and leave a review. Absolutely. It's true. I appreciate you coming out, Absolutely. taking your class, the full price of it. And, yep. and you've always you know, done that. Yeah. You've always done that. I don't believe in, like, if you have a, a friend who's a small business owner, right? That is one of the hardest things you can do yeah. is to be a small business owner. Like, hey, I don't even have a full appreciation for it because, well, I guess I am a small business owner. We're falling range with the lilies, but not on the level of, you know, what you guys are doing, like you're feeding your families and everything else. And I get really frustrated when everybody wants, hey, man, hook me up. Hey, man, give me this at a discount. Hey, man, you know, and if you did that for everybody, you wouldn't be in business. Yep. If your friend cared about you and cared about your success, they would want to support you. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's if it's. I think I would feel a little different if you were in charge of a large corporation and you know whatever. Maybe it's a little different, but as a small business owner, every dollar counts. Absolutely. So, I yeah, it's uh, uh my the guy who cuts the chambers in my barrels, Tom Ryder. Yeah. You know, it's SPR Industries over in Seattle. 
same thing. I mean, I, I pay for my chamber jobs, you know? I mean, there's a couple of chambers that like, uh, sometimes proof will send me some, you know, a couple of prefits here and there, but largely my chamber jobs are done and I pay for them because like that's Tom is, that's a small business for him and he's trying to figure out how to make it. Yeah. And, uh, I believe in his product. I believe in his skills and, um, I want to support that and it's important and you don't really appreciate it until you're actually the dude that is like, uh, you're looking at those books and you're going, okay, man, well, <laughs> a little slim this month, right? right? We gotta, we gotta do something. So yeah, man, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm super grateful to have you here. No, I'm, I'm happy to be here to receive the instruction. You know, I value both of your opinions. You're both experts and masters in your craft and you know it's so hard in this game to self-diagnose and to self-correct and fix things that you may not even know you're doing um you know i always go back to golf with a lot of these analogies but you know the greatest golfers in the world still have a coach who is 99.9 percent not as good of a golfer as they are you know who said that to me man yeah i just like i, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought yeah david Cantu said that to me yeah I was having, I was, I was having some internal struggles, right? And I was just, I was not happy with my performance and, you know, um, that whole imposter syndrome thing going on. And, uh, David's just like, he goes, you think, you think, uh, you think Tiger Woods coach can play a better game of golf right. than Tiger Woods? And I was like, okay, man, you got a point. But having a trained eye who knows what he's talking about from an outside perspective, that can show, especially with all the modern, you know, teaching aids that you guys have, like the trigger cam and video and everything else, like that kind of experience is invaluable. Like today. Well, we had a trigger cam. We had a, we had a trigger cam until our mishap. Until somebody, yeah, somebody got a hold of it. That's uh, right. They're pieces of shit anyways. <laughs> Not the trigger the cam. cam. Not the trigger yeah, cam. the monitor. The monitor, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Phil, Phil happened. Actually, the win happened. The win. Yeah, but it was Phil's responsibility at the time. Uh, he was signed for it. Um, but no, what I was saying is, like, it, it's invaluable to have that. And if you are not getting that azimuth check occasionally as a competitor, you're really hamstringing yourself in your growth. 100% agree with that. I mean, my like, this year, I have been... You know, I was tell like I was telling the class this morning, I've never really truly focused on being a competitor. That's just something that I've never tried to do. And I've done uh, a tremendous amount. Well, I'm saying that it's a tremendous amount, but I've been really focused on doing a lot of self work, right? Self evaluation. I, I made, I made, uh, I made a post about it today, self evaluation or self exam. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that's been a that's been a big process for me over the last few years. Um, the last few years has been really really tough uh, family issues and just you know you kind of feel like your life is falling apart and you know your focus is so so narrowed right on dealing with these problems that seem like mountains right but in the grand scheme of things it's just another small chapter in your life but at that point in time when you're dealing with them they actually seem like it's mount everest yeah i had a, a mentor you know i getting out of the military recently was a struggle that i thought that i was far better prepared for than i was and what my mentor told to me um he had this quote and it, i thought it was a fantastic quote it's really hard to swim for sure 
if you're just trying not to drown by treading water. Yeah, man. So I think, you know, when you're stuck in these moments, it's super hard to like see a way out and go because you're just overwhelmed and you know, the water's coming in your mouth and trying not to and drown. So I can relate for sure. Absolutely, man. That's a really, really good, impactful quote. And um, I'm going to keep that one for sure. It's good. You, know, you guys like looked at me like, like I was gonna, I was what? just getting deep with you guys, you know, like <laughs> that was, I'm like trying to think of like, I mean, I can't even swim, so. <laughs> well, we know you can swim. You floated the river with us. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We, Phil came out and floated the yak with us. Nice. On, uh, what was that? That was a long time. It was a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. It certainly was. That's become a, that's become a, a very, uh, important pastime for us in the summer months yeah. so it's it's a lot of fun to float the river if you ever decide to come back to washington you need to stop and we'll float the river yeah i'll definitely come back out I, I miss washington i miss aspects of washington i'd like to yeah yeah to caveat that phrase that, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure um, it's still one of the most beautiful states i've ever been in. i absolutely agree with that it's just uh yeah it was time to go yeah man i mean you know it's uh I don't think we're going to stick around there for, you know, it's definitely not our forever place. You know, we, we have plans, we have goals, we have things that we want to do. Um, and I think, uh, as much as I do like, you know, I say, I'm like, you know, I don't want to leave the coast. I don't want to leave the opportunity to go to the coast and experience Puget Sound and the San Juan islands. And I love going crab fishing. I love going sure. salmon fishing, all that stuff. But then I'm like, what was the last time I actually did that? It's been a while, right? You grow up, life happens, other things. It's the ideal of having that in your backyard, right? At your doorstep. You are as closer for you than it is for me, right? I sure. am out in the desert now, but um, I think, uh, you know, our, our goal is to end up someplace in Montana or in that kind of southwest Montana area. But um, I love the mountains. I could never be away from the mountains, period, end of story. I've, I've traded... Um, legit mountains for hills that people call mountains right right so <laughs> they're still pretty to look at but for know, sure it's, it's just a, a different, different yeah different it's a different vibe. deal i mean there i mean i go back to the east coast like growing up on the east coast uh go back and visit it's actually been a really long time uh, i went back in december and visited my hometown it had been like eight years since i had been back there and uh, we went in the, in the winter time so it's pretty dreary and kind of you know, gloomy in the wintertime there. It's, and it's brutally cold, Buffalo, Niagara Falls area. And, um, even going back and seeing it there, it's, it's beautiful in its own right. You know, yeah. it's, it's definitely pretty. And I definitely miss the memories of like growing up there, deer hunting and, and fishing and all that stuff. So, you know, it's nice to visit. I don't think I could live there though. So. Again, you guys just, like in sync look at me like yeah where are you at <laughs> i'm just enjoying the the view <laughs> um well you, you you and i have had some some pretty good conversations about something that you mentioned earlier that was kind of the genesis of of this right sure of this discussion and I think it's uh, profoundly impactful. Um, and I think it's something that uh, younger dudes don't necessarily appreciate right off the get-go or right out of the gate. 
And sure. I think sometimes, like as you get a little bit longer in the tooth, so to speak, it's uh, it becomes more impactful. Um, you know, and that's the that's the departure from a career, right? And how long your career was was you twenty one years? years twenty one yeah. years. Yeah, um, I mean, shit, I'm the boot here. You, you, both of you guys have more time in service than I do. Um, my career was cut pretty short in the, you know, in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, the departure is I don't, but I mean, like the time span. I don't think has much to do with it. It has the it has to do with the amount of passion and the amount of effort and energy that you sink into it, right? In terms of the dedication that you give and then yeah. it's not there anymore. I, I would agree with that. And I think it's, you know, everybody has their own journey and their own reasons why they signed up and chose to do what they did. I mean, the three of us here um, all did service and we all left in a very different way. Like you did a, a, a shorter stint in service, came and went on your own, kind of decisions you were the master of your destiny um you know you came in and you that was taken from you essentially uh, you know you were injured told you can't do this anymore and i did the whole uh the whole career the standard retirement everything else and for me it was a it was really a family decision yeah. um you know i have probably like the most supportive wife anybody could ever ask and um you know, she is like involved in the FRG, did all the events. Like she was a, you know, a, a stalwart of a wife. And, you know, I came home from a deployment. Um, it was a rougher deployment and she sat me down. Both our boys left the house at this point. And she's like, hey, you know, you're gone all the time. I'm home by myself. Like you always said after 20, I would get a vote. Like, I, I really want to talk about this. And we had a, a long talk about it. And uh, I hadn't even really thought about getting out. If we were, you know, if we're being honest, like I don't get me wrong, like we all did. Man, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I'm wore out. Like this sucks. Like I hate it. At least I would verbalize that, and then I would go do the deed and do the job that I love doing, and I would get kind of like replenished. But Keely wasn't getting that anymore, right? So we had a discussion. And uh, did kind of a feasibility study on, you know, what my option looks like getting out. And, you know, we chose to get out. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, that came as a shock to a lot of people in the organization because I was having a, a pretty stellar career. And, you know, that I was earmarked for some of the positions, you know, moving up. I was, you know, at the very, very top of the game um, as a flight lead in the 160th. It just it doesn't get any better than that for a war officer. Um, but, you know. Even with all that being said, I had, you know, a super strong support network for my family. I had a, a community that I was deeply involved in, in the shooting community, full of good people, some of our, you know, best friends, some of the most um, treasured relationships we have are in this community, in addition to, you know, our military community. But even that, like, I was shocked at how hard that transition was mm -hmm. in ways that I never expected. And you hear like talk about it. People are like, hey man, it's really hard. But that's that's about all you get from people. Right. You know, they don't they don't explain it to you. And um, so, you know, you and I had this conversation. There's a lot of relatively speaking now versus 10, 15 years ago, there's a lot of good conversations about veteran awareness, 
you know, depression, stuff like that. Um, and you hear a lot about PTSD and the statistic that, you know, 22 veterans a day die from suicide. And I guess I always associated like super traumatic, you know, horrible things that lead to PTSD, that lead to suicide. And I, I was kind of resentful of this image that veterans are like just fragile, you know, we're just ticking time bombs waiting to go off and, and fall to pieces. And I felt like I was never going to be that way. So it, it frustrated me. And now that I've gone through this process, not that I ever thought about suicide or anything like that, but like there was some depression in there, like some legit depression that I didn't even realize I was going through. And I had access to many, many, many more resources than a lot of people I've known or, you know, I, the, the army's doing a better job and the DOD as a whole on educating soldiers and making sure that when they get out, they have, you know, resources and tools. And I say soldiers, you know, Marines, airmen, whatever. Service members. Service members. Even with all of that, I felt horribly unprepared. Mm. Like we, in my unit, I had access to a, a shrink that I could call anytime I want just to talk about things. I had um, a really good ex exit program that they've recently stood up called the Exfil program. And it's solely dedicated around like setting dudes up for success when they get out. But again, I don't think I was prepared like for that loss of identity, loss of like self-worth. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. Like, I don't know. What, what was it like for you when you got out? Oh, I want to say for me, when I got out in 18, I, I honestly, I didn't have, I didn't, there was no time to think, right? I think because of how I got out and I, how I immediately just rolled right into working for Gunworks and adopting myself into the community of, uh, you know, the precision rifle community that you just talked about. Um, and honestly, I was, I was by myself. Right. And I, I was able to like, I guess, focus on the things that I, I wasn't able to do while I was in the service. But I, at that same time, um, a lot of, I guess a lot of my regret was actually more family related than it was, uh, like Marine Corps related, I guess, if that, if that makes sense. Right. A lot of my, you know, like a lot of my regrets was things like not having enough time with Zoe and, and, and stuff like that. I didn't get her until a year later after I got out. Um, but I, I think even still to this day in the back of my head, I still struggle with like, what if, what if I would have stayed? Like, what does that, what does that journey look like? Right. Um, you know, granted, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be where I'm at now, but I think Claire sees it in me sometimes when I'm just like, what the hell? Right. And like, it's hard, right. It's hard to get that, have that structure for 11 years right? for me, at least for 11 years of life. And then, and then being able to like, or like removing myself from that. And then now trying to figure the fuck out. Right. Even though I have all tapped into all these resources, right? Utilizing the VA uh, uh, benefits, GI Bill, stuff like that, right? Sure, I have access to those. 
but it's still not even enough to fill the hole right that i that it was left after my separation yeah it's it's a that's a great that's a great way to look at it because everybody does have their own their own reasons and so like you family reasons you it's like hey it's uh it's just it's it's that time it's time yeah, yeah. it's that time because none of that's going to last forever no. right none of it's going to last forever and that door is eventually that not it's not even a door it's a chapter in life right it's a chapter in life that's eventually you're going to turn that page and go to a new chapter and i think the i think that i think it's important to go back and talk about what the point of you like why you chose that path in life to begin with right because everybody has that everybody has a, their own individual story of why they chose that path um and i think that uh like i look at things now and having seen what and having had the experiences that i've had um you know war is not a pretty thing no it's not a pretty thing it's not glorious it's not like you know what i mean like and you know what I mean. Oh yeah. It's not glorious at all. And it's like, you're, you're going to die in a stinking ass ditch. You know what I mean? Like we see now everything's televised. You can see people, you know, there was a, there was a video that came across Instagram that was horribly heartbreaking to watch. You know, I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. You know the one I'm talking about? Are you talking about the Green Berets and Molly? Well, that, okay, that, that was a horrible one. Yeah. That was horrible to watch, but there, I, I don't even know if it was a Russian or Ukrainian, right? It doesn't even oh, freaking matter. Yes, right? I do know. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Absolutely horrible, man. And, like, guess what, homie? That's your reality. Like, that is your reality. And so you look at it from the standpoint of going, okay, well, like, you found, you you answered the call. How old were you when, when that happened? So I was a little older. Um, I was already, let's see, yeah, I was 21 when I went in. Yeah. So I didn't do the, the straight out 18 thing. I definitely went to college, had a good time, kind of lost my way. And then yeah. I, mean, I, I needed some discipline and, yeah. and luckily the military was there to provide it and kind of straighten out my life. But, um, I, yeah, I, I feel looking back on it now, uh, that was the best decision I have ever made was to join the military. So I guess I, I look at it from the point of view, like, you know, everybody has their own individual reasons, but in the, I guess in the grand scheme of things, right, everybody is, uh, you're looking for something. You're looking to be a part of something. You're looking for camaraderie. You're looking for brotherhood. You're looking for adventure. You're looking for challenge. And there is, you know, everybody that comes into these organizations is largely coming for the same reasons in one way form or another and you find that you find that together and that's the bond that brings you together because everybody is there for very very similar purposes and reasons and that is i think the hard, that's where the hard part about separating from that occurs because you're venturing into the unknown you're venturing into something that is is uh, is scary because it's change, um, and you you looked at it and you probably said and you and you were like, well, I kind of know that this is coming. I kind of know that I see the writing on the wall at some point in time, 
maybe the same thing for you. Um, I didn't, right? Like you said, that was taken. And that was like, uh, my dreams were taken away from me. And that was fucking hard. Like that was super hard. Like I didn't pick up a rifle for like three years, two, two and a half, three years. Cause it was just like fucking painful. Like all of my mates were going to schools and continuing on the pro progression that I wanted to so badly go chase after from that call of adventure and that continuation of wanting to be a part of something and wanting to be, you know, with my boys and my friends going to do cool shit, right? Yep. We want to go do cool, rad shit. Yep. Dangerous stuff. But at that point, it doesn't really matter how dangerous it is. You're, you're there for one another. And it's, uh, it's selfish it's at some degree right it's selfish to some degree because you're chasing after the things that you want and then when that gets taken from you oof, that's not easy and i think what i did was i i repressed a lot of that i put that shit away locked it pitched the key and was like no nah, we're not dealing with that right now i'm gonna go I'm going to go, and I had this grand plan in my life. I was like, well, I'm going to accept this. And the only way for me to get through this is to accept it, that this is now my new reality, right? When you get told you can't do it anymore, I was like, well, the prognosis was really shitty. I didn't know if I would be able to ever walk without a cane or crutches again. And um, when that med board dropped and they were just like, yeah, you're unfit. You're unfit for service. I had the option to appeal it, right? But most people at that point in time in that those 2004 2005 time frame right nobody really knew what to no. do with us right no. this was such a new experience for the department of defense to deal with casualties and you know wounded war fighters on such a mass scale that it was just like disability severance <coughs> disability severance you know what i mean like now you see dudes that are wearing uniforms that they don't have an arm, they don't have a leg, yep. you know. Serving in a high capacity. Serving in a very high capacity. Yeah. And so maybe that's, maybe that was, maybe that was my mental, uh, my lack of mental toughness, you know, I don't know. But I basically said, if I can't do my job, I don't want to be here. And I think that's fair. Like, right? I think you got to show yourself some grace on that. For sure. No, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to like hold, I'm not trying to say that, um, like I have regrets. No, I don't because a lot of people ask me like three, four years after, after I got hurt and I was able to recover enough, I was rocking in the mountains and going on backcountry hunting trips. And, and I was in, actually, I ended up getting to be in better shape than, you know, that I was in Marine Corps, um, because I had a new drive. I had a new, I had, you know, I loved, I loved the mountains. I loved hunting and I loved to. Uh, I love to experience that because going into the backcountry was just like planning a reconnaissance mission. It's exactly the same thing, right? So you have to plan. It's SMEAC, like it's SMEAC five paragraph order, right? So I found connectedness in that, which then kept that stuff still locked up. You know what I mean? And, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't last it's coming out right? yeah you can't and you may think you had it locked up but you didn't have it locked up. like no stuff's yeah, coming out myself. Yeah. yeah we just didn't know it at the time yeah exactly um yeah exactly so 
Sorry, I distract there. Yeah, it's coming out. You don't realize it's coming out. Right. Usually it's the people close to you that have to point out, like, that you're okay. letting some stuff out. There's some behaviors that are happening. Right. Patterns that I'm, that I'm witnessing. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, when we talk about these feelings when you're getting out, it's every one of us sitting on this couch here. When we woke up in the morning, we knew who we were, what we were doing, that we were good at it, and that we were respected in our communities for it. And I don't think that there's enough weight assigned to that. Like, I don't think we realize how much that means. Because as I was getting out, the possibility of like, I have to find a job. I don't know if I'm gonna be good at this job. I don't know really much about this. I, I knew I didn't want to fly anymore. I didn't want to go do the airlines thing because that just seems like the most boring gig on the planet for me. Um, you know, I, I was able to do the coolest flying you could ever do. I, I, and people ask me about that, like, you didn't want to go to the airlines. And I said, well, it's, I feel like it would kind of be like Lewis Hamilton getting out and driving an Uber. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna hold a candle to what I was doing. So I don't want to do anything that's even close to that. Cause it's just going to make me miss what this was. So I went in a completely different direction. And for the first time in my life, I had like anxiety, you know, worry, you know, stress, like, am I going to be good enough? You know, did I give up this thing I've been pursuing for 20 years? to go be a failure at this other thing. And, and those weights wear on you. Uh -huh. And it's, it's hard, man. It's getting out is the hardest thing I've ever done. Harder than making it to the 160th, harder than flying combat missions and doing brownout landings at night and like all that crazy stuff. Like getting out and remaking myself as civilian has been the hardest thing I've ever done. Sure, again, known. Yeah, it's 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 unknown territory, and and you're and you're you're stepping off that precipice, and behind you was all of the familiarity and the safety and security, and now you're you're stepping off into the unknown. Yeah, it's it's terrifying, it really is. I mean, I I was I, I was in a situation where I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm gonna accept this, right? The only way for me to 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 get through this is just to say all right, well, that part of my life is over. We're going to just go ahead and lock that up. And I'm going to focus on this new thing. And that was working for a family business in Yakima. And it was so bizarre because um, I remember I was sitting on the couch recovering, probably super high on pain meds. And the only thing I could do was just like watch TV. And it sucked. It was the worst thing ever. So I was watching these shows and it was the time when Monster Garage was a thing, right? Jesse James was doing Monster Garage and and uh, uh, Orange County Choppers and you know, a lot of these fabrication shows. And I was watching this stuff and I was like, man, that's cool. Like, look what those dudes did with that thing in like, what, a day, two days? That's pretty rad. And uh, my mother was, was uh, visiting Camp Pendleton um, basically to help, like, help support in my recovery process. And... Um, her boyfriend was there and he was, you know, watching this show with me and, and we started talking and it's kind of foggy. Cause like I said, I was like, I was on pain meds for like almost shit, like eight, nine months. Yeah. 
So it's like kind of foggy and spotty, but I remember just saying, that's really cool. And he goes, well, we kind of do something similar to that in the shop that I work at or what we do. And I was like, really? What do you like? I didn't have any clue really what, what they had done because that was a family business that my mother had helped him, you know, grow. And, uh, it was a, uh, liquid nitrogen, uh, transportation company. And so, uh, part of the agriculture industry in Washington was, um, using controlled atmosphere fruit storage. And what he was doing was he was fabricating, uh, these custom built, uh, trailers that had liquid nitrogen tanks that we would run the liquid through a vaporizer and pump it into a room to reduce the O2 level that would basically put the fruit to sleep. And it can stay um, in that in that state for up to two years. Hmm. And that market kind of, that technology helped even out the disparity of um, the South American fruit market, right? So the American fruit market could stay competitive with the reverse growing seasons of, uh, of South America. So it was really interesting. And uh, he was like, I'll teach you how to weld. It's like welding looks really cool. I want to build stuff, you know, like that looks rad. And so they offered me a job. Uh, and at that point in time, there was really nothing else to do. Like, I didn't know if I could walk again. Contracting, right? right. Just started to bud. Yep. And um, not too many people knew how to get into it. Definitely not like it was during the heyday of like, you know, 2008, 2009, you know, to what it is today. And so I didn't know what to do either. I was terrified. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. This has been my entire existence, right? And so I came up to Washington and um, said, sure, I'll take that job. And it didn't end up working out. And it was just, I mean, there's a lot of issues, obviously, like working with family businesses and stuff. There's a lot of dynamics that um, definitely are not for everybody, but... um, it just, it just ended up hitting me one day. This is not me. This is not who I am. Like, this is not a part of who I am. And, um, and I just, I had this existential crisis, kind of like you said, I started to have anxiety. I started to get really stressed out. Like this can't be my existence. I feel like I'm pigeonholed in here. I don't really understand um, what I could possibly do. I got my pilot's license, yep. but I had no desire much like you. I had no desire to go f- fly for a commercial airline. I wasn't going to be a taxi driver. You know what I mean? Like it just didn't seem like it was fun. You know, I mean, I love flying airplanes, but just didn't seem like that. But then I was like, well, I'm either going to go be a cop, which I am super grateful that I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> No offense to all the cops out there. We love you guys. We love everything that you do. But your job also comes with some very, very significant pitfalls, right? And um, it's no secret that being a cop nowadays is, is, a, is a really, really tough job. It's harder than it's ever been. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Like, um, regardless that, and I said, or I can get back into the shooting world. And that was when I picked a rifle back up and started to kind of teach on my own a little bit and went to shoot some more competitions. And I was like, okay, well, this is actually a big thing. This is a thing now. And so somehow I managed to carve myself a niche and, and here I am, right? And so I often ask myself, though, 
am I truly doing what I am supposed to do, right? As a person, like, am I, is this truly my identity as what I am and what I'm doing? I'm 44 years old, right? So it's a, it's definitely my passion. And it's uh, like, Phil, you always say, right? You know, your passion is teaching and you just so happen to, to teach, my teach your hobby, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I guess that's pretty much what we do. <laughs> It's pretty much what we do. Well, if I wasn't teaching people how to shoot a rifle, I'd be teaching in the school system. Yeah. Right? Like I also, uh, like I always knew that I wanted to be in the education system. Sure. Like even after, I'm tired of teaching people how to skid square behind the rifle, how to keep your face on the gun. Right. You know, eventually I'll end up in some small town teaching high school algebra. Sure. Yeah. Algebra teaching. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. There's so many jokes there. I'm just not going <laughs> there. Not even going to go there. One of the things, though, that, that struck me, I was listening to uh, to a podcast, and I'm sorry, uh, like, I mean no disrespect here, but I can't remember the name of this individual, but um, it, was, uh, it was a Delta operator on a podcast, and he was talking about his struggles in, in getting, getting out of that, and he basically said, you know, I... Everybody says you have to reassimilate into society, right? You got to reassimilate into society. Like this is a world over here that very few people know and very few, very few people experience. It's a very small percentage of people. And he said, well, I don't even know if I ever assimilated into society. If you're ever part of it. If I was ever yeah, part of it to begin yeah. with. And, and so now you're telling me that I have to, re like I never did it to begin with. I left the house at 18 years old and got into this gun club. And so we like, this is all I know as, as an, as an adult, this is it. And, um, I thought that was pretty profound because that's a very factual statement. Yeah. I was going to say, he's pretty much dead on right there. Like never really had an adult type job, you know, I was in college and attending bar and out, you know, screwing off and being an idiot. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Now that you think about it, I've never had that adult big boy job until recently, you know, where like your decisions are, I mean, our decisions in, in our previous lives, like they definitely affected, oh yeah, you know, that's definitely affected people, but like the profession that you're in now is like, there's the second and third order effects of bad decisions are pretty significant. Yeah. You know, I feel very blessed and fortunate to end up, uh, with the current job I'm in in the defense industry. But and, and a little bit of imposter syndrome every day. I'm just waiting for somebody, to, like, you know, knock on my little cubicle there and be like, "Hey, uh, this was an accident. Like, <laughs> we didn't realize." But no, it's it's been great. I've been um, super super fortunate, and uh, you know, I, I get to. I I can't believe I'm doing this on camera, but I have to give Keely credit because. She said, you know, when I was going through the kind of the pits of everything and anxiety was through the roof and, you know, how do I, you know, maintain our current lifestyle or improve on it? And, you know, what are we going to do? And she's like, she told me, she's like, hey, look, everything that's made you successful in the military is going to make you successful on the outside. Like you're, you're underestimating your value. You're underestimating your value. Like, you know, when we start applying for jobs, let's, let's swing for the fences. And I... I just didn't believe it. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, 
and then you know I did kind of swing for the fences and and got really lucky but it's it's just interesting how hard it is to step outside your comfort level like you know I come from an organization that prides itself on you know solving problems and unknown challenges and tackling you know the nation's most difficult problems and missions and and everything else but when it came to like me personally stepping outside that comfort level and doing something new like that was that was very hard very hard when you when you were experiencing all when you were experiencing that what did you recognize it immediately or did it take you some time i no i did not recognize it immediately um like you know you you feel off you're maybe a little crankier maybe a little you're not sleeping as good um I don't think I recognized it immediately. Maybe you're arguing with your spouse a little more than whatever. And, and, you know, you chalk it up to like, ah, you know, it's just this or it's just that. And it's really, really hard to look inside and be like, okay, this is me causing this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, again, like I said earlier, it's not just you that it affects. It affects everybody around yeah. you. And if you don't have that strong support network, and, and I think most importantly, somebody who's confident enough and strong enough to call you on your bullshit and to, to calmly and rationally tell you, like, hey, you're, you're not okay. Like, I know you think you're okay. I'm not saying you're a weak individual. I'm not saying you can't handle this. I'm right. just telling you, this is not normal. You're not okay. Right. And that's what it took sure. for me to reach, start reaching out to people, mentors, you know, talk to the unit psychologist, you know, talk to these people to get some semblance of help. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful I had those resources. I know not everybody's so lucky. And yeah. I, I am grateful that the military, um, you know, for my last year in the military, it was pretty much focused on this process of getting out. And I know that, like, I'm sure you didn't have that luxury. It was like from when... So you got blown up, you healed, the med board was shortly thereafter, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't even want to say I was healed. Like, I was still, you know, going through rehab. I was still going to physical therapy all the time. Uh, later, I would have more surgeries to, to continue to repair things. Uh, a decade later, I would have another surgery that I paid for out of my own pocket because the VA was so absolutely horrible to deal with and broken. That was before community care was a thing. Right. And it was just like, I can't handle this. Like, this is bad. So from your med board to out, how long was that process? Okay, so uh, I got, I was wounded in combat on November 9th of 2004. And I went on terminal leave September 13th of 2005. So less than a year. Wow. And a lot of that time was just physically healing. Yeah, yeah. Probably about a good... A good six months of that was physically healing and I was a newly promoted staff sergeant. So in the Marine Corps, that basically means as an 0369, you're you're an infantry unit leader and you just basically go needs in the Marine Corps, right? right. Uh, so they were gonna put me in charge of um, the regimental, uh, the, we used to call it slang, the regimental platoon. It was all the admin guys that was getting ready to get admin sept, right. you know, the, the drug pops and the the dudes that were getting into fights all the time and like everybody that was 
And that was just, I was just like, you have to be kidding me. I went from leading, I went from leading a sniper team to in combat to this, like absolutely not. And luckily I had some friends that were working at uh, the urban sniper course at first special operations training group at, at the MEF. And they were like, no fucking way, dude. We're like we're, no, we got you. And so um, I got orders from the MEF and they pulled some strings and I got I was able to do, thank God, I was able to do my twilight tour with gunfighters. And I was at the schoolhouse at, at first SOTG and made some amazing friends there in the short time that I was there. And um, it definitely saved my sanity. Like, I don't know what would have happened if I had to literally go, go crutch my ass into regiment every day to deal with all that crazy shit. Yeah, and you know, at that time, correct me if I'm wrong, you were still thinking that you're gonna be a Marine. Like, but yeah, no. see your, your process though, what I was trying to get at from, from holy shit, I, I need to do something different to being driving off the base. Oh yeah. That window flashed a bang. Oh, was very oh, sport, very was real fast. Yeah. yeah. So I, my hat's off to you. Cause I had a year of, yeah, man. and it was yeah, like, not cool. I, I left, I remember I left base. I left camp Pendleton. We checked out a, you know, checked out a base housing, packed up stuff into a, into we did a we did a diddy move right and um dude i think from the front gate of camp pendleton like i didn't stop crying until like fucking san francisco yeah on the way up north to you know washington it was yeah. a really brutal time because it was just like i was terrified absolutely terrified what was it like for you driving off so i, I was supposed to retire out of the marine corps and i say that because i was a, a, a lifer uh, I was a really good Marine, you know, I, every course that I went to try to get on our grad, yep. if I didn't get on our grad, I just fell short, just one. I shoot her at cyber schools, um, and, uh, the, you know, top fit reps and stuff like that. And, and so, and so I think when I made the decision to get out of the Marine Corps, I honestly didn't have a plan and, and, uh, it was, you know, I was. Uh, I always make the assimilation with um, with Kaylin and I as like Dr. Dre and Eminem. <laughs> this is I've, I've never heard this before. Uh, just why am just, I just not I, hearing about this? I'm gonna have to ask like who is who in this <laughs> equation. <laughs> uh, so you know, I, so when I dis, when I got out of the Marine Corps in April of of 2018 mm -hmm. I didn't take any terminal but I I had already had my my sights set on this plan right because Kaylin had called me a week prior to or like two weeks it was like two weeks prior to me getting out I was all the way to a stock lane I just typed the story up it's funny I was all the way to stock lane because you know um the training still happening there's a sniper school still going on staff needs walkers Right. I'm like, okay, I'm on the way. So I'm driving through Camp Pendleton and they get a phone call that I hadn't seen Kalen since I'm, I bumped into him in between the Night Force booth and the Vortex booth, the shot show. Stopped to see him. Like, Kalen, Phil, Bla or Phil Bleo, I'm an instructor of the schoolhouse, and Joseph had put us in contact. So we had talked, and then Kalen called me three months later. In March, he's like, "Hey, man, you still get out of the Marine Corps?" And like, in my head, at that point in time, I was dead set on getting out of the Marine Corps. 
and going back to live with my mom and use a GI Bill like every veteran does. Yeah. Right. Uh, but that was about the, that was like my idea eventually becoming a reality, you know. And so he called me and and uh, I was like, he's like, hey, man, so you got the Marine Corps? I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, uh, you want to move to Cody, Wyoming? I was like, where the fuck is Cody, Wyoming? <laughs> and uh, he offered me the job at Gunworks, right? Uh, and as soon as I got out, that that same that following weekend, um, I had my job interview at the same time that I had already scheduled the that the two day NRL match when NRL was still on uh, that scat and Scott put on. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I like the facility. And, and honestly, if I if I'm being 100 percent honest with you, I knew that I took that job mainly because I had no other plan. And I was I was refusing to fail in the eyes of everybody that knew I shouldn't have gotten out of the Marine Corps. No, that's a good point because I had a little bit of that too, right? I think that it's different when you're over 20 and there's always that risk. But yeah, there's some real fear of like having to look somebody in the face and be like, "Man, I I messed up." I yeah. shouldn't have left. Because, like, I was like, I was like, I have no business staying in Cody Wyoming. Like, uh, I'm such a, I mean, I grew up with such a big family. Uh, you know, my mom was living in Las Vegas. My daughter was at this point in a very toxic environment between like Las Vegas and, and uh, Texas. So I didn't have a real clear plan, honestly, of like how I'd now be able to spend time with her because I was like, that was a big reason why I got out initially right my my kicking and screaming was um I I was due for orders and they were like hey Stas or Vallejo you're gonna go to the east coast and pick pick up some you know whatever platoon right as Kalen said is when you become an 0369 you're no longer a scout sniper you are a infantry unit leader and that's what they see you as and I was like I didn't spend 11 years in the Marine Corps as a scout sniper to go lead Mortarman, right? I know it would be good for my career, uh, but you know, at the point of the time and value and, and money of it, or the sacrifices I've made for my community, um, you know, I was like, I'd rather just give it back to my daughter in some ways, shape, form. I think, you know, looking back on it, you know, even back to when I was enlisted too, like how many times it's like, oh, I can't wait to get out, I can't wait to do this, or I can't wait, F this, F that, this is dumb. Like, dude, I can't wait to get out, grow my hair out, and blah, blah, blah. And then when it happens, and that door closes <laughs> behind you, oh, that's a uh, moment. Yeah. It's a moment for sure. I never had any of that. Like, I was I was the dude who was just like, I'm here to stay. Like, I'm, I'm here. And so um, I had aspirations to go. I had aspirations actually to go to the Army side. Yeah. Well, that was my ultimate career goal. Once I learned more about what that was, um, I spent uh, I spent just shy of two weeks working with uh, an ODA in on my Iraq trip. And once I saw how those guys operated and what they did, they played by different rules. They did their own thing. Yep. And not only that, they were constant professionals. But like night and day from anything else that I had ever witnessed in the military. Yep. And then I learned about, you know, from that perspective, then I learned about the unit yep. and I was like, okay, well, you know, this is what I've heard about. And now that I had a chance to witness it, 
that's where I'm going. And so I had aspirations to go to uh, the force reconnaissance route. And I had, made, I had cut a deal with Sergeant Major that he wanted me to come to that battalion that I would go to Iraq with. And he was just like, well, I want you to come take this platoon. It's a junior platoon. And I said, well, I, I, I'm not so fast, Sergeant Major. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to get promoted to E6, Staff Sergeant, become an 0369, and then allow the monitor to have his will with me. That's right. not happening. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you, if you come over here, you give me one deployment, I will let you go take the force in back. And I said, as long as you, you know, you give me your word. And, and he goes, I'll tell, I'll make it even better. And we'll get on the phone with the monitor and, and we'll talk to him. I was like, okay, sound, sounds good. Roger that. And my eventual path was, or what I wanted to do is I wanted to go get, I didn't want to be in a leadership role anymore. I wanted to <coughs> focus on being as best of a dude as I could. Right. And then chase after the next step. And ultimately I wanted to end up at the unit. And so, you know, things just didn't work out that way. No, that's yeah. like plans of mice and men. You know, the, I think it's interesting that you say that, cause I was at, you know, going back to that when I was asking you, like, how did you realize things? And, um, I don't think I started to realize all of that shit that I had locked away or attempted to lock away until very recently in my life, very, very recently. And so, and like you said, you know, having Keely with you, uh, Keely's wonderful, man. I mean, known her for a long time. Well, I've known her as long as I've known you. And you know, she's wonderful, wonderful support. Like always, always had good head on her shoulders. Sure. And I have a woman in my life that's that way. And um, she has really focused on healing herself through her own issues and her own traumas that she's been exposed to in her life. And I don't think that I would have been exposed to um, that aspect of, of the healing part of life had I not met her. Sure. And so through meeting her, she exposed me to, um, to all of those things. Like I was always under the impression that, you know, PTSD was just like, you were crazy, right? You're just, your erratic behavior, you know, the Hollywood version. Yeah, the Hollywood yeah, exactly. version. But the reality of PTS, now that I understand what it is, it's, you know, from from a, a physiological standpoint and a, and a psychological standpoint, it does not deserve the stigma that is is placed on it. It's really just your, your nervous system is out of whack and you have to, and you have to get your nervous system back to a lower level of, of homeostasis and baseline. Cause our, our level of homeostasis is extremely elevated, right? Extremely elevated. And there's very little that you can do to prevent it from getting sent over the top, right? There's very little that you can do. You don't understand that until you're placed into this like that anxiety that you feel or the, that stress and, and the worry and you're getting put over the edge, right? Just by doing that. And then your behavior changes and your patterns start to change. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, some dudes chase after it with booze, some dudes chase after it with drugs, some dudes chase after it with women, you know, midlife crisis and just 
overall bad behavior. Just filling the hole. Yep. Filling the hole, trying to make it, trying to keep that shit locked away. Yep. You know, and and once you're in a strong support network where people aren't poking at you and picking at you and making you feel worse, knowing that they're there because they love you and they want to help you. Right. And it's not like a, it's all about the delivery and it's all about how it's all about the strength of that relationship and, and how much you care about that person and then how they show you and how they illustrate to you like, hey, these are your patterns. These are your behaviors. These are the things that you do and call you calling you on your shit. Right. And you have to be ready like you like. We were talking today, you, you can lead a horse to water. Yeah. You can't make that bastard drink, right? <laughs> so, and we're the same way. We have to see it for ourselves. You're not going to wake up to this stuff because somebody tells you to. You have to wake up to it by experiencing it for yourself and going, oh man, that's, yeah, that's me. That's what I'm, that's, I'm totally doing that. Yep. Absolutely doing that. And then it's okay. And then having like people say that then and be having people around you that say that it's okay like you're not you're not broken right this is totally fixable you just have to you just have to be exposed to the right people and the right things so i'm curious because i struggle with this right like when somebody says like you're okay but i'm if i'm consoling a friend you guys or whatever and, and you guys i'm not saying it's you but it, when i get that reaffirmation it's like hey it's not you in my head, I feel like it still is me. If that makes sense, like meaning that like, that is still not enough of, with regard to like my self-worth or image, right? Like, and that's why I appreciate you talking about Keely because like I recently, my girlfriend, new girlfriend now, like how much she has supported me in my own individual self growth and journey, especially as a father, you know what I mean? Uh, and what, she's done to like help me understand kind of like my value right because like behind closed doors like i said there's a lot of regret with my relationship with zoe um uh like not showing up when i when she needed me right because of all the all the the things of in zoe's childhood is starting to like rear its ugly head if that makes sense right and so i look at that immediately as a reflection of my um, abandonment I guess I, w I would say you know and so it's hard because of the nature of the job that we were in to to even when I was in the Marine Corps to, to tell you know one of my best friends <coughs> I saw every day at work like this is what's happening at home because I didn't want to be that guy no yeah nobody does nobody does right that right because like, you're supposed to keep that shit over there. Exactly. And right. you keep that out of this door. But you keep I, that out of this room. But when I do, when, when I am opening up, right, if I do open up and they're like, oh, man, you're good, right? Is it like, is it? are they just saying that? Right. In my head, like, that's what it's going on in my head is like, is he just saying that so that, like, he can just, like, move on to the next conversation? Or, like, is that is actually coming from a place of... I think that this is where... It really, really pays if you have access to a trained professional. Sure. Because a trained professional can word things a little better. So I had similar thoughts to what you're saying. Like, you know, she's my spouse. She's supposed to tell me I'm going to be all right. You know, 
that's right. her supporting her man, whatever. But I had a therapist who said, um, you have to understand that these behaviors that you're worried about, like who you are, who you're going to be and all this is an outlying symptom of a sickness that's going to pass that we're going to treat. It's going to pass. Right. Like, I'm just like, I have a cough right now. I'm not a sick person as a whole. I went through some illness recently. This is kind of a, a vestige of that. And once it goes, then I'll resume my normal life again. And I think that you can't internalize these feelings of like, okay, this is who I am now. I'm not a, I'm not a indecisive. I'm not an anxious person. I'm not a, a grouchy, like, you know, chew everybody out for no reason kind of person. These are just outward behaviors that are manifesting because I am going through this, right. This season in my life right now. Right. And like I said, I'm, I'm really thankful that I got to talk to a therapist about this just a few times, but that was, it made a big, big difference. I think because I mean, your spouse may have their best intention too, but there's a little bit of a barrier there too, right? Like you're supposed to tell me these things. Sure. It's different when it comes from an objective person on the outside. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Honestly, I'm not used to hearing those things. So to be completely honest with you, I was in two very uh, emotionally abusive relationships that I didn't recognize until I separated from both of them. One of them being Zoe's mom and then my previous Max wife. Yeah, I know we're having a serious conversation, but like you guys have been craving those abusive relationships yeah. your entire career yeah. <laughs> with your route as a scout sniper yeah. from the stories I've heard about yeah. life is a pig. But yeah. well, there is something to be said about, you know, um, I'm, uh, you know, all jokes aside, like that's that actually you will seek that out unconsciously. Right. And that's uh, that's another cool thing that uh, that Cassandra has helped. Uh, me see is um, she is fascinated and studies uh, depth psychology, uh, Jungian psychology, you know, the ego, the persona, and the shadow, understanding those three aspects and how to individuate, become an individual. That was a really big word. Yeah, right. It's a big word. But then you start looking at it and you go, okay, well, um, being okay with those parts is part of being whole, right? Because all of the things that we don't like about ourselves go into the darkness, right? They go into what Jung calls the shadow. And so then what we see, we were, we were talking about this the other night, like what, what we reject within ourselves, we will project onto other people. We'll seek out things that bother us, right? Like, and the things that bother us about somebody else we're seeing those traits because we're unhappy with those traits inside of us sure and so going through these transitions in life or going through something difficult just freaking amplifies that through the roof right so like the conversation that you and i were having in the car i forget what trip i was on or where i was going but we had this brief conversation about you know about the genesis of this this discussion that we're having right now and you were just like there's just things that piss me the fuck off right and i was yeah. just really like i can't i don't even know why i'm mad i don't right even now. know why i'm mad right now i'm just really mad yep. yeah i'm just really mad and that's that's also part of the shit in our shadows that is poking at us and saying hey you need to address this yeah, I, and I remember that conversation now. Um, 
it's it's actually a, a decent story. Uh, I was driving um, and I wasn't paying attention. I was distracted. I can't remember what I was thinking about. Yeah. And uh, the the lane that I was in kind of ended. Mm -hmm. And so I, I gassed it and I kind of cut a guy off a little bit. And, uh, you know, he honked his horn, whatever. I stuck my hand out the window like, my bad, dude, you know, whatever. And I pulled into a restaurant and he pulled in and boxed me in. Some road rage. And instantly, like all my alerts are up. Like this dude is obviously coming here for a confrontation. I immediately go to like violence. Like we're, we're about to be in, you know, a fight or something like that. Cause that's, that's just my initial reaction until I can assess the situation and okay, you know, whatever. And this dude starts screaming at me. And I said, Hey man, I, I'm really sorry. Like I was wrong, you know, my bad. And he kept going and he, you know, calling me all the worst things and I had to kick your ass and all that. It did not help that, you know, I've always said that, I, you know, I'm horribly prejudiced against, you know, overweight people. Like it's, it's a character flaw of mine that I look at overweight people and, and I tend to make snap judgments about them. And this person was about the most unhealthy person I could have possibly imagined for you. Like the, whatever cartoon character that you can draw up in your head of the most unhealthy person in America. This person was telling me they were going to get out and kick my ass. And I don't think that they could have gotten out of the car. And that made my anger just through the roof. One, I come from a culture that if you fuck up and you own it, we're cool. We're cool. Like right. just own it. I owned it. I apologize to this dude and he kept going. And I had all kinds of horrible thoughts run through my head. Like I was ready to yank this dude out of the car and just beat him. And I don't know what happened or how, I can't even remember like how the confrontation ended. I know I advanced on him and then he drove off. Thank God, right? Cause I don't know how that altercation could have went, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm back in the car and I'm furious and I'm fucking pissed. And then I was like, why am I pissed? Like, I don't, I've been around the block. I know that that dude wasn't, that wasn't about me. Like that wasn't just me cutting him off. Like you don't get that mad you know, with just somebody cutting you off. Like I know that I, I'm ordinarily self-aware enough to just not let that go, but, or to not let that get to me. But man, I was nuclear and I couldn't understand. Like I knew I was in the wrong and I knew I shouldn't be this angry, but I was this angry and I was completely like powerless. And so I sat there for probably 15 or 20 minutes thinking on it. And then, you know, I, I started driving home and that's when I called you. Oh, that was right after. That. Yeah. It was like right after. Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was like a, you know, a, a previous. No. And, and whoa. Okay. Because I mean, there's certain people that can relate to your experiences. Right. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about you know, stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And when I called you and I was like, man, I'm, I'm angry and I, I don't fucking know why. And I guarantee if Keely had been sitting next to you, she would have been like, I know why, you know what I mean? <laughs> but <laughs> at the time I just, I couldn't 
I could not get out of it. And that goes back to that, you know, when you're trying not to drown, you can't really make any progress and swim to shore. That's true. And that was, again, one of those moments where it was like, okay, I'm not okay. Like, I need to do something about this mm -hmm. before I do something stupid or affect something. Well, yeah, it can get, it, it'll get pushed over the edge. Yeah. Right. So, like I said, I feel, I feel lucky and blessed that I managed to, you know, and it's still a very much a work in progress, but I managed to get through those, you know, those danger months and emerge okay. And I think that, you know, I'm definitely on the upswing and life is pretty free and fantastic right now. Yeah, um, but that, that journey to get there was, was rough. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I wonder, and I, and I think this is why I have so much love for the competition community. And I want to say that like, I was almost groomed on my exit with, uh, the, the local community of shooters that kind of took me under their wing because they were all, um, they were all fathers. Uh, they were all in their like mid, very successful mid forties. Their kids were in te their teenager years. Uh, I mean, they all made at least easily over 150 to 200 grand a year. Right. And they were in the sport of precision rifle. And I was this young ego filled scout sniper instructor that was trying to bridge the gap between civilian low range shooting and what the military was doing. And so every month, right. When I wasn't, teaching snipers i'd go out and hang out with those guys go shoot with them and then we'd go to these events uh or like dinners and stuff like that that's about 45 minutes from the house they all lived in like orange county la but what they taught me was like what what i truly valued about our relationship was that like they didn't when, when it came time to settings like that it was not about shooting it was about things like family and all the things that I was missing because of my service. And I think truly why I, why I feel like I have to, you know, uh, spread the, the, the message and the word of the, these competitions, your locals. Cause I, I feel that when people come to our class and they start getting at the local level, they eventually touch younger versions of me, right. That are like looking for, you know, mentorship, mentorship. Uh -huh. Right. And I feel like that's why for me, the, the exit wasn't so violent as compared to you, both of you guys, you know, cause I mean, they truly just helped me for my mentality. Like, Hey, this is what my next journey is. It's like, I'm going to go like, like my, my job now is to be a dad to my daughter. Right. And, and like, I, I thankfully, because of the support of obviously our world listeners, everyone that, that supports modern cyber, like I'm able to do that and I'm truly grateful. Yeah. There's no doubt that, you know, outside of the special operations community, this, this precision rifle shooting community, mm -hmm. it's easily filled with the, the highest percentage of just great people yeah. that I've met. And, um, like John Kyle True and his family. I talked about him last night on the podcast. Yeah. Shout out to that guy. He was one of the best dudes on the planet. He, I don't know how he knew, 
reached out to me out of the blue. Hey man, I'm just checking on you. You've been on my mind lately. Sparked a conversation and we talked probably twice a week for probably a solid two months or so, just helping me talk through things, you know? Um, and the, the community is filled with people like that, honestly. Good Americans. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. You know, so. Absolutely. No, I, it's something that, um, something that I learned from, from my wife, Cass, is that you're not obligated to be the same person you were yesterday. You're not even obligated to be the same person that you were five minutes ago. And everything is a constant evolution. Everything sure. is a constant change. And there is a polarity in everything. There's a polar opposite, 180 degrees opposite of everything. And you're not like, I think that stigma of you're broken, you're bad, you're a bad human being, or you have, you've experienced some bouts of bad behavior that <clears throat> that manifested as a result of your inability to understand what was going on inside your brain and inside your body does not define you as a human being, right? And that's like, that is where, that's where that stigma comes from, right? That's where that becomes a, uh, that that's where it becomes a problem is when people are like, oh, this is now me. Right. And that's where that pit of despair starts to get deeper and deeper. Yeah. The and symptom I, isn't you. Yeah. I, I've been there, man. I've yeah. been there very recently to the point where like, yeah, if it wasn't for that dude, I'd be in serious fucking trouble, serious fucking trouble. And again, it, it never got answered just for my clarification. He is Dre or he is Eminem. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, it didn't get answered. You kind of skipped right over that. You blazed right over that one. I'm definitely Eminem. <laughs> Galen is Dr. Dre of Aftermath Studios. I just watched that movie. The other day. Actually, me and my, my girlfriend watched uh, uh, Shred Out of Compton the other day. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Great, great movie, by the way, if you haven't watched it. I thought for sure I was going to be Eminem, but yeah. okay. Yeah. That'll work. No, I'm uh, I'm eternally grateful for all the people that I've met in this journey, eternally. And it's the power of real friends, right? And I think, you know, if I could convey to to anybody listening, like, you know, how can I help? How would, like, reach out to people. That dude you haven't heard from in a while? Like, wonder what's going on with him? Yeah. Hey, man, what's going on? Yeah. Just reach out. You'd be surprised that, like, how many doors that opened up? Like it meant the world to me when John Kyle called me, you know, and just just wanted to chat. Hey, how you doing? What can I help with? Well, even when honestly, Michael, when you and I first met after after Rock Lake, we were just talking about this, like how you and Keeley opened your door to me, um, uh, especially relating to me as as a single father, right? Because I was yeah. going through that very weird time with my ex right, that you know yep. that you met right um and uh i had just gotten zoe full-time and, and there was that balance of just like me trying to figure out like how do i structure time with her you know and and because at this point like my career i was still trying to figure out my career i think right of like what do i want to stay with gunworks is it time to make the transition to modern day sniper and i'll be honest like even though i had zoe full-time i was not present Right, because like she, I, she, I'd pick her up from school, and I'd be like, "Focus, you know, what's next to do?" 
and like that was my busy time right and then i obviously realized that like hey you know like i'm here but i'm not here right and, and we had this discussion uh you know over the phone one one evening about um the schedule that you had with your boys growing up right like hey you know as soon as we get done with dinner i have a, an hour we do homework and then we have whatever they want to do and yeah. i and i i remember establishing that because of you for about a year and it really truly changed my relationship with zoe so i appreciate that about you but i appreciate it and thanks yeah i think that um i don't know how i survived that that time frame um and i'm sure you've heard this story but i was in flight school in the army which is a pretty stressful time it's pretty hard uh not hard in the getting yelled at or you know dragging just through the mud it's mentally just, mentally, mentally just exhausting difficult. you have to absorb a large amount of knowledge very quickly and everything you do is evaluated um and my first wife left at that point and i had the kids in flight school so i would wake up every morning at 3 30 wake up the boys and i would take them uh, to my neighbor's house uh, the grandies thank god for them they saved me during that time frame and they would go back to bed. I would go to flight line, fly, go to academics. They would wake up. Uh, the oldest would go to school. Uh, he was in kindergarten at the time. The youngest, you know, stayed there. I would get back right about the time they got off the bus. He got off the bus. Uh, we would do their homework, make dinner, uh, get them cleaned up. And then I, every day, I would block off one hour. This is daddy time. Like, whatever you want to do. Like, nothing nothing matters but this. Daddy time, ready for bed, put him to bed at 8, and then I would stay up till midnight studying, studying. every night. And then, uh, you know, I'd get, like, four hours of sleep and start all over. And then weekends, you know, it was just trying to catch up on some sleep and take care of the boys and stuff like that and get ready for the next week. Honestly, I don't know how I made it through that time, but I, I have still have some of my most fond memories or that occurred during that hour. Mm. And, you know, the boys have, have told stories that they remember, well, Cameron Aiden was too young, of stuff that we did during that hour. So, you know, that time is very impactful to be present. Like, it's hard to explain how different it is between one hour of being present and 20 hours of just being distracted just being just being there yeah 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 be occupying space right so uh, my question to you michael then because that does sound stressful right like uh, in terms of that that time of your life right and you said the hardest thing that you've ever had to do is get out of the military right and so do you think the difference at that point in time because you were was because you had so many things to do between flight school, taking care of your boys, right? Like your mind was occupied 24 hours of the day. And then now as you're preparing to exit, there's nothing to do. No, I think that's a lot of it is the, I had the time and space and opportunity to just, in the absence of filling it up with these things that just left room for all the worry and anxiety. And um, there's, you know, and I've never been an, an operator, but I know a little bit about their selection process and it's very different than a lot of what people civilians especially picture an assessment like you know they've seen the seal movies and people yelling at somebody do you want to quit 
you know, you're never going to make it, stuff like that. Well, it's actually fairly easy to keep going when somebody's telling you you're not going to make it. Yeah. Because it, 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 it motivates you, right? Like, yeah, you're not going to break me. Yeah. It's the silence and the, and the non-emotion. Their assessment is you by yourself with some misery mm -hmm. and a crap, tote of a crap ton of time with no input or feedback. Yep. So all those thoughts can just creep on in. And, you know, I, I don't want to speak too long on that subject because I'm not an expert on it. I just know that I've appreci I can appreciate why things are set the way they are because now you're getting a true assessment of somebody. Uh, dude, the hardest, the hardest thing I've, honestly, man, like the hardest thing that I've ever done was, was be alone in the mountains for 10 days by yeah. myself. And, and not like in inclement weather, not seeing animals, going through a divorce, yep. like just spinning, yep. just spinning, right? And breaking down, fucking crying on the side of a mountain because you don't know what's gonna happen in your life. And yep. like, those are absolutely challenging times. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think you're right. Like I didn't have an option. Like this had, like, this had to work. Yeah. I had to pull this off. We're talking about my children. This is no fail. Like. I didn't have time for any of that to get in there. And then, you know, you're living minute to minute, meal to meal. And then at some point, there's no time for you to, right. there's no time for you to actually sit and go, what is actually happening right now? Yeah. And then, right. then I graduated and moved on and, you know, it was the next phase, the next chapter. But no, I, I would agree. Like looking back on it. Yes. That was super hard. One of the most difficult times of my life, I would say. I was more affected emotionally by this mm -hmm. easily. And definitely, I think because it is tied to emotion, right? That is why it it is so draining, right? And and I'm guilty of being a recluse, meaning that like is your it's hard to, it's hard to get hold of me. Yeah, I was gonna say, are you no referring way. to not answering phone so. calls? Yeah. <laughs> um, Typically, if Phil's not answering your calls, you're not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything not, is you're, okay. You're not alone. I, I would say a, a good indication of me not answering my phone is me, if I'm being completely transparent with both of you, is me dealing with the shit that is going on in 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 my head. That sure. I am, I am too. Like I, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you guys about it right now, but that I struggle with because we've talked about this with my dad, right? What he put in my head. Mm, yep. Of like, only Philip is gonna take care of Philip, right? That like, that has been a blessing and a curse at the same time. Sure, yeah. Because I, I, I know that I've pushed out, relate, pushed relationships away, like some of my close friends in the Marine Corps, uh, because like, I'm not, I've, ne I've never been as open as they are with some of their struggles and stuff like that, because uh, and, um, you know, Claire and I were having this conversation the other day. If like something were to happen, like she's like, I don't know who to call other than Kaylin, you know, um, I like I know three of her best friends that I could call or something were happening. Her, and she's like, other than Kaylin and your family, I don't know who else to call uh, because I, I definitely when stuff starts happening in the background, whether it be family, whether it be my own shit, like I, I just shut down and don't want to. I don't want to I'm talk to guilty. I'm guilty of the same thing. Cassandra said the same thing. She's like, I mean, she's now she's 
she she knows she can reach out to you obviously um she's reached out to mick um and i'm i am guilty of the same thing right just go go inside go deep and just shut off right and so yeah it's a it's a pitfall and uh I would love, I would like to be able to say, I think I'm, I'm pretty, I'm hopefully, I think so. Like I'm on the other side because I think a lot of the issues that I should have dealt with, with my separation all came to a head on top of all of that familial sure. crazy shit that I yeah. went through in these last four years. And it just exacerbated it. It just made it worse. And so I'm super grateful to have, you know, like you said, good therapists, people that you can talk to, yep. supportive families, brothers, brothers that will fucking help you. Like you're, you're not alone. You are absolutely not alone. And you just have to, you just have to reach out. And I'm guilty of not doing it. I'm guilty of not doing it. And you're like, I don't want to come across as sound like a hypocrite, hypocrite, but I am guilty of doing it myself. Yeah, I mean, humans being humans, are Absolutely. right? Like, I know I shouldn't eat that cookie, but <laughs> I had three Achilles are good. I'm probably gonna eat that cookie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, it, it's it's just interesting. You know, we've had a lot of great conversations with this tonight, um, and, and I'm a little bit on another side too because I'm out, and now my my children, yeah, are in, and yeah. you know, they always ask they're pretty great about asking for advice. I don't know if it's just to appease the old man or whatever, but like, hey, I'm running into this. What do you think? What do you think? And I think one of the, the things that I impart to them is like your time in the military, however long it may be, or however short it may be, is someday gonna end. And you do need to have, be aware of that. One, so you appreciate what's going on right now. For sure. And I say, you know, I, I wish I'd have taken more pictures with the boys, yeah. you know, my time in. But especially in my community, it's like pictures are kind of frowned on or whatever. But I uh, I wish I'd taken more more time and uh, more pictures with the boys. And, and I think I, looking back on it, I wish I'd have cherished it just a little more. Yeah. But I was always just so mission focused. Absolutely. That what's the next evolution? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And then you move down the road and you look back and it's you know this. Yep. It's it. It's one thing my grandfather did tell me. Uh, my grandpa Wojcik, who he fought in uh, World War II at the 82nd Airborne, he said, "When you take pictures, he goes write people's names on the back of the pictures." That's really great advice too. Actually. He said, "I have." He goes, "I have." He goes, "I'm blessed to have a bunch of pictures," but he goes, "Damn it, if I can remember anybody's name or just tag them." Oh yeah. Now yeah, we have that. Yeah, we use picture hashtags, right? <laughs> What would uh, what would you tell your? I know this is pretty cliche, but like uh, I, I'm genuinely want to ask, what would you tell your younger self, right? Because we talk about like how many lives have you lived since you've got out, and I, I would ask you that all the time, yeah. right? Because I feel like when we were really starting to like connect and get to know each other through conversations on the phone and stuff like that, like I felt like from the time that you had left the cyber community till you know we started modern day sniper you had lived so many lives many right so what would you tell michael Lilly that is just about to join 
the army after 9-11. Wow. What would I tell that kid? And I, I sat in this conversation the other day, like it was a slightly different flavor that if I ran into, you know, that me before he was joining the military, I'd, I probably really wouldn't like that kid. Kid with right. Um, I would say you're going to meet the best people you've ever met in your life. You're going to be experience the highest of highs. You're going to experience the, the lowest of lows. Um, people are the most important thing. Relationships are the most important thing. Everything else is all built around relationships. Every mission that gets done built around relationships. Like it, it's hard to articulate and I'll probably fail, but like the example I'll use is how many times is like, oh, I got a friend who can do this and he can help us. And then, you know, whatever, and you get through it. Um, appreciate, appreciate it while it's going on. Like take, take a moment every now and then and realize like how awesome this is. Um, for me, that moment was always like every mission, especially at the end when I was like a flight lead and when we're all loaded up with the baddest dudes on the planet about to go lay like absolute hate on some asshole's doorstep and we're all waiting on the word to go and to be unleashed and the moment the armada takes off and you just the thunder of you know, all those birds leaving just full of the baddest dudes on the planet was the coolest feeling I've ever had in my life. Nothing will ever top mm -hmm. it. Like as far as like satisfaction of like, this is awesome. Um, just appreciate it. Cause I think looking back on it, I thought it was never going to end. And then it did, even though it was my choice, even though I decided to get out looking back, it seems like it, it happened really fast. You know, but when's the next time you come back to the podcast? <laughs> it's been, if this is the interval, it's going to be a while. Um, I don't know. You know, we'll see, we'll see where it takes us. Uh, I'm just really looking forward to day two of the class tomorrow, to be honest. I'm, I was super excited about day three until I saw the weather forecast. Yeah. My favorite moment of this morning was, us heading out to the hundred and you just came back in your truck and you're like i'm gonna go put on another warming layer <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's cold and yeah. i can yeah yeah you can only be hard for so long it's true yeah that's true definitely have uh a more conscientious of the cost benefit analysis of these decisions to man up you know what i mean <laughs> yeah Right on. Well, Mike, uh, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. I think this was very needed. This was a very necessary conversation. And, uh, I appreciate you. Know. Thanks, man. I'm I'm really grateful that we can have this conversation. And you know, if one person hears it and feels like they're not alone, and they're wondering why they're struggling, and to understand that it's normal, it's something that we all go through in some way, shape, or form when we get out, like totally worth you know an hour or two of our time to sit here and, and chat about it so looking forward to hearing your, about your continuous journey and your new uh your new chapter and career path yeah and i'm looking forward to uh my continuing journey as, as a rifleman that's 
I'm excited about that possibility in 2024. Now that I feel like I'm in a good place mentally and I have the, the bandwidth to yeah. appreciate it a little more. So, um, if you guys are not familiar, Michael, you have awesome uh, channels, YouTube, very yeah. informative, very, um, very different flavor from what the typical is because you guys, I think you and Keely do the best at breaking the barrier to entry down with regard to you know, all the tactical stuff that you see and whatever you see on, on Instagram and YouTube nowadays, right? Yeah, so, you know, for those of your listeners that don't know, we have a YouTube channel. It's called Long Range with the Lilies. And um, it was basically Keely and I going to matches and we would get like some little nugget. We'll talk to somebody who knows what they're doing and we get this little nugget and it would be like, man, if we'd have known about that before, it would have saved us this much money or these many points or whatever. And we just started kind of like documenting these lessons as we learned them, kind of sharing our journey. Um, we've never taken the approach that like we're subject matter experts and you should be like us. It's mostly just sharing what we've learned along the way. Cool. And um, it's really cool how it's taken off. And it's really cool just, you know, to get the interaction and people thanking us. And hey, you know, your video with Scott Satterley taught me how to reload and, you know, whatever. Um, I think actually the, the ones we talk to about kind of the most, we haven't done one in a while, but is our disaster stage videos where we, you know, we would film ourselves having just a complete train wreck of a stage. And a lot of people don't like putting their, showing their butt up, you know? And uh, I thought like we get a lot of, man, I can relate to that so hard. <laughs> so um, I'm sure that there's another opportunity for that at some point. I'm trying to avoid them now, but we'll see. But no, I, yeah, I appreciate the shout out. Badass, man. Well, thank you, Mike. This has been, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Let's not make it another four years or whatever. Well, guys, thank you for listening to uh, the Modern Day Sniper podcast. And um, as you guys know, uh, hit us up at moderndayrifleman.com. That's where we have a lot of uh, really solid information and a really good crew of people that um, are all about sharing information and helping each other on their own individual journeys. And um, we hope to see you guys in the network. Till then, keep your face on the gun. <laughs>